లవింగ్ సాయిరామ్ అండ్ గ్రీటింగ్స్ ఫ్రమ్ ప్రశాంతి నిలయం వీ రిజ్యూమ్ అవర్ స్టడీ ఆఫ్ స్వామీస్ ధర్మవాహిని ఇన్ మై ఒపీనియన్ వన్ ఆఫ్ ద మోస్ట్ ఇంపార్టెంట్ బుక్స్ ఎవర్ రిటర్న్ ఐ డూ హోప్ యూ రిమెంబర్ ద హిస్టరీ ఆఫ్ దిస్ బుక్ ఫర్ ది బెనిఫిట్ ఆఫ్ లిస్నర్స్ ఓవర్ ట్యూనింగ్ టు దిస్ సిరీస్ ఫర్ ద ఫస్ట్ టైమ్ లెట్ మీ సే వన్స్ మోర్ that dharma vahini is a book based on a series of articles first written by swami for telugu sanatan sarathi a long time ago these articles put together points made by swami in his various discourses and they focused almost entirely on dharma and its vital importance not only to the individual but to humanity as a whole the present broadcast series is based on kasturi's english translation of the telugu articles instead of merely reading out kasturi's book from cover to cover i thought it would be more appropriate for the present time especially for young listeners and those who have come to swami very recently if i focused on just a few critical passages from swami's book and helped you to absorb these concepts this is what i did last time and that exactly is what i plan to do in this talk as well as all subsequent talks in this series just to recall last time by quoting appropriate passages i made the following major points one adherence to dharma is a must if we want peace in our individual lives as well as in humanity as a whole if we fail to ensure the observance of dharma in every activity of our lives no matter how small or insignificant it might seem we would be rewarded with troubles turbulence conflict and even gory violence sometimes quite extensive and on a large scale two dharma should not be interpreted narrowly as righteous actions alone as we often tend to yes at a certain level dharma does boil down to righteous action no question about that that said it must never be forgotten that dharma is verily god so following dharma really means we are following god all the way all this has been known for thousands of years yet we find that even as humanity is making staggering progress in science and technology where human behavior is concerned we seem to be degenerating with alarming rapidity why is this happening why is it that even as our so called knowledge is supposed to be advancing we are becoming more and more blind to the need to sustain dharma the answer is simple and swami has stated it very clearly he says that as technology begins to offer more and more distractions we become not only more and more engrossed in these superficial attractions but also increasingly attached to gadgets and the like for example 15 years ago the mobile or the cell phone was hardly known 
but now even children have them millions and millions of them in fact indeed our lives seem to be increasingly cell phone and internet driven in short attachment to the external world very efficiently and successfully eclipses dharma and the priorities we need to have in life four the final point i made in my last talk was that life is given to us to realize our true nature as the atma and that we are not the body this by the way i did by quoting swami of course swami says the body is merely a dress worn temporarily by the atma for the purpose of existing briefly on earth this realization will not dawn on us if we allow ourselves to be deluded and keep chasing false reality all the time however if we stick to dharma all the way the scales would drop from our eyes and we would become conscious of our true atmic nature so that in brief was the ground we covered last time let us now dig further into swami's writings and see what more he has for us swami says and i quote in all worldly activities you should be careful not to offend propriety or the canons of good nature you should not play false to the promptings of the inner voice and you should be prepared at all times to respect the appropriate dictates of conscience you should watch your steps to see whether you are in someone else's way you must be ever vigilant to discover the truth behind all this scintillating variety which is really an illusion that o oh man is your entire duty and this really is what your dharma is end of quote i hope you have grasped what swami is saying when we see something in the outside world that attracts us we sometimes think for a while about how we should respond to that attraction thinking is essentially an internal process and people often have many doubts about voices that speak to them from within they wonder how exactly one should tune into the correct voice speaking from within in fact the question becomes which of the voices we hear from within is the correct voice the voice we should actually pay attention to now this is a very good and in fact a pertinent question luckily for us swami has explained all this to his students in fact many times all that i have to do is to draw upon that treasure let us do a step by step analysis and take a particular example say a man sees an attractive advertisement inviting people to drink some famous brand of liquor say so there is this man tempted by this attractive advertisement and he wonders what he should do he starts thinking asking himself should i or should i not there is one side of him that says come on man relax a bit you need to relax after all the terrible stress you have been carrying for weeks 
what with so many office problems you have had to handle. That is what one side says. But there is another side that says, Oh man, watch out. It may start with just a small glass so that you relax a bit. But be warned that this is the slippery slope. Don't you ever get on that slope because it's dangerous. It would ruin your body and harm your spiritual progress as well. This is typically the way the inner debate starts off. I do not want to sketch out the entire debate, but would instead like to identify the two principal voices that one generally hears in all such internal debates. To put it simply, one is the voice of the head and other is the voice of the heart or conscience. The question now becomes, how do we distinguish between the two? Swami has given the answer. Basically, one voice comes from the head and this voice gives suggestions or answers which have their roots in ego and body consciousness. At the practical level, the message sent by this voice would have a strong flavor of attachment, greed, selfishness, self-interest, sense gratification, etc. So, if we check out the so-called voice and we find that traces of these elements are indeed present, then we would know for sure that the source of this voice is body consciousness or ego and therefore it ought to be scrupulously avoided. What about the other voice? The voice of conscience. Well, being essentially the voice of God, it would be full of selfless love, compassion and totally free from self-interest, anger, jealousy, hate, etc. Thus, by applying this litmus test, it is easy to discriminate amongst the different answers we get from within and pick that which is the true voice of conscience as opposed to the imposters. I hope that is clear. To put it all in simple words, for an action to be dharmic, it must be free of attachment, it must not come in the way of others, it must be totally selfless, it must be filled with pure love, etc. As long as we do not forget these basic criteria, deciding whether an action is dharmic or not is quite easy. It's a different matter to summon the willpower required to perform such an action, for that would call for sacrifices which most of us would not be ready for. And that is often the problem. You may say, if this is the case, then is it at all possible to be consumed with passion for dharmic action? And my answer is, yes, it is possible, provided we are seized with the unquenchable desire to become one with God. This is what Swami describes as being intoxicated with the nectar of union with Brahman. Let us hear the full quote. And this is the quote. The blazing fire of jnana, which convinces you, 
that all is God will consume into ashes all traces of your egoism and worldly attachment. You must become intoxicated with the nectar of union with God. That is the ultimate goal of dharma and of karma inspired by dharma. End of quote. I am sure you have often heard Swami say that happiness is union with God. We might hear that often, but does it register? Hardly ever. Why not? Because wisdom has not dawned on us, that is why. Spiritual knowledge must dawn on us for us to really appreciate that true and lasting happiness or ananda or bliss comes only when we become one with God. And when does such awakening take place? When the ego within us has been completely scrubbed away and there is no trace of worldly attachment. If you keep this in mind, then the following statement that Swami makes in Dharma Vahini would make sense. And I now quote Swami from Dharma Vahini, quote, Sacrifice ignorance and ego at the altar of jnana or spiritual wisdom and install dharma therein. This is the message of the Vedas. Every single unselfish act which prepares the ground for the merging of the individual soul with the universal soul or the Atma, which enables you to see God everywhere, is a dharmic act. Whatever is done in an attitude of dedication and surrender is a component of the dharma which leads to realization. The strategy of the Bharatiya way of life is directed towards the sanctification of every moment and every word, thought and deed into a step towards this realization. End of quote. The message is loud and clear. For an action to be truly called dharmic, it must aid and assist in some manner or the other the doer of the action to see God everywhere. In turn, it means that while performing the action, the person concerned must be suffused with the atmic feeling or atma bhavam as Swami often puts it. I now invite your attention to Swami's reference to Bharatiya culture. In simple terms, Bharatiya culture means ancient Indian culture. For many, that would also mean Hindu culture. Thus it is that many overseas devotees often get quite perplexed. They frequently ask, though in whispers, Look, what's all this about ancient Indian culture? We trace our cultural roots to the Greeks and the Romans. You do agree, don't you, that ancient Greece and Rome had great civilizations? and that Greece in particular could boast of many renowned philosophers and thinkers whose value system and teachings are most respectable? So what does Swami mean by giving such importance to ancient Hindu culture and downplaying other cultures? Is Swami expecting all of us to become Hindus or something like that? I agree that people have not said so in public or in their writings. But let me tell you, I have been asked questions along these lines by many, including by people whom I hold in high esteem. I think it is necessary to offer a few clarifying remarks to place all this in the proper perspective. First and foremost, 
Swami is not heaping praise on ancient Indian culture because it is Indian or even Hindu. He extols it because of the enormous importance given to the fact that humans are primarily divine in nature and they are all, irrespective of caste, color, creed, race or religion, the children of one God who is omnipresent. Many Americans have told me that in their early days they were disturbed to hear their local pastor declare that those who did not believe in Jesus were doomed to spend their life after death in hell. These American devotees said to me, I was disturbed because I could not understand two things. Firstly, what happened before Christ appeared on the scene? Secondly, I wanted to know If God created everything in the universe, then He also obviously created those who profess other faiths such as Islam or Judaism or whatever. How then could God be so partial to Christians? And you know what? All these people told me that every single doubt of theirs was answered the moment they came to Swami and heard what Swami had to say. Swami told them very clearly and emphatically, There is only one God and this God is the same for all without exception. Further, this God is omnipresent, omnipotent and omniscient. Well, we have all heard Swami say that there is only one caste, the caste of humanity, etc. Have we not? Swami adds that this is what ancient Indians believed in and taught. Indeed, They tuned their daily life to this particular wavelength so that throughout the day, consciously or unconsciously, people in all walks of life and all ages tuned to God and acted accordingly. Actions performed in this manner, that is with constant God consciousness, is what Dharma really boils down to. This is the essence of what is often referred to as Sanatana Dharma. Let us get back to Swami to find out what more he has to say. Quote, The practices of today and the principles of yesterday are far apart. Even the smallest detail of secular life has to be inspired by the higher ideal of spiritual fulfillment. Then, even ordinary folk can be led step by step towards the goal. When you do not discriminate the process and the purpose of every act, but still go on doing it, it becomes a funny, fossilized version. End of quote. Now, this is an extremely important piece of advice. Do you know why? Because it explicitly calls our attention to how much modern life has, in the name of secularism, drifted away from eternal moral values. By the way, Swami said all this way back in the 60s or so. Today, As we march forward in the 21st century, things have become far worse. This is something we had better keep in mind while trying to absorb what Swami says. Let us pause for a moment and think a little bit about what we have just heard. The key words are, at least in my opinion, spiritual fulfillment and discrimination. Based on these two phrases, important phrases, I might add, 
we can come up with the following golden rules. Golden rule number one, make sure every action, no matter how trivial and small it might seem, is tuned to the higher ideal of spiritual fulfillment. Golden rule number two, we must also make sure that before we do anything, we analyze the nature of the action. In practical terms, we ask many questions and apply some acid tests. This is what discrimination really boils down to. It is only when the contemplated action passes all these checks and tests that we accept it as doable and to be in conformity with the goal of spiritual upliftment. Okay, so what are the tests that we actually apply and what are the questions we ask? They are very simple really. We ask, is the proposed action good or bad? Is there any trace of selfishness in the proposed action? Or is it totally selfless? Will the proposed action in any way harm any person or even a creature? Will it on the other hand benefit any person or creature? Is it saturated with pure love? Will it make people involved happy and fill them with bliss? I guess these questions make it quite clear how we go about analyzing while making choices. Let us again return to Swami. And I quote, Dharma cannot be restricted to any particular society or nation for it is closely bound up with the fortunes of the entire living world. It is a flame of light that can never be extinguished. It is untrammeled in its beneficent action. Krishna taught the Gita to Arjuna, but he intended it for the whole of humanity. Arjuna was just an excuse. That very Gita is today correcting all mankind. It is guiding all mankind. It is leading all mankind. It is not for any particular caste or religion or nation. It is the very breath of humans everywhere. End of quote. I hope you paid careful attention to that quote. That's an important one and we need to digest that slowly. And so if you don't mind, I shall reserve comments on that for a later time. Meanwhile, I do hope you are able to follow what I have been trying to tell you this time. Thank you for your patience. God bless you and Jai Sai Ram.